I was there when my father's life changed. Or rather, I was there when the story of my father's life changed. The story he told himself about himself and his life. It happened in about 1970 during a visit to a nursing home in a small town near Austin, Minnesota, where my great aunt, my father's mother's sister, resided. I was around 10 years old and did not expect this visit to be particularly memorable. It was just a stop on our way to visit my cousins, I believe. But even then, though I did not find out the particulars of my father's story until many years later, even then I could tell that something had changed for him. Let me explain. My father was drafted to serve in World War II. It was not a pretty story as I came to know about it through him. He had ten siblings, and he was the one at home at the time supporting his mother as his two older brothers had left home and married, and his younger brother was still a child in school. In my father's telling, when he told the draft board that he was the main support for his mother, they basically said, Sorry, your older brother has already told us that he is supporting your mother. Can't be both of you. Welcome to the army. When my father went to his brother's house to confront him about this deception, he was met with derision and dismissal and the cruel laughter of his brother's wife who ordered him to leave the premises. Again, this is my father's telling. I have little doubt that my aunt and uncle may have a different story, but that is not the story I am telling. And I have some understandable loyalty to my father's version. Suffice to say that this incident, while particularly horrible, was not completely uncharacteristic of my father's experience with his brothers. His father, my grandfather, was an active alcoholic for much of his life and had abused both my grandmother and my father. My uncles, my father's older brothers, had lived into the legacy of my grandfather in some of its most unfortunate manifestations. Added to this, my father was especially close to his mother, my grandmother, who was a rock of love and support to him even through the most difficult days of the depression and the dysfunctional and often destructive family dynamics. So my father was drafted, learned to stand at attention, I am sure, in basic training, and was eventually sent to fight in New Guinea, experiencing things so horrible that I only heard pieces of them when I entered young adulthood. Before then, I would only catch allusions to that time and puzzling clues as to what my father had gone through. For instance, he refused to eat bananas or pineapples. I've had enough of those, he would say, and it is not a time I want to remember. Though he liked watching TV in the evening, he never watched any shows that were about the war or any war. 
He shied away from anything that reminded him of his time in the army, including those events that honored veterans. War, to him, was hell, not heroism. And who chooses to re-enter hell once having escaped? But the stories from his wartime experience, the actual stories of living in the jungle, clothes and supplies and bodies soaked to the bone, cans of rations popping open by themselves from spoilage, holding on to trees with both arms and being spun around by nearby explosions until the insides of one's arms were raw, seeing friends suffer and die. A man who he had become close to from Mexico, for example, who enjoyed playing the guitar until he had to have his arm amputated. No more guitar, Richards, my father remembered him saying. And all those years later, when he told me that story, tears shone in his eyes. And the story about the war, the story that my father told himself for a good share of his life, I think, that story was one of betrayal, disrespect, dismissal, abandonment, and suffering. And I get that. I can't imagine much more of a lonely, isolated feeling than thanks to a brother's betrayal, being ripped from your home, from the mother who loved you and whom you loved and supported, supported both emotionally and in the tangible ways of work and financial contributions, and being sent to survive in the unforgiving jungles of New Guinea, not only to survive the environment, but to survive the fact that people were trying to kill you without a second thought, for second thoughts could be deadly. And knowing they were indoctrinated with the idea that you were not a person but the enemy, and knowing that you had been indoctrinated the same way and that your mission was to kill them with that same heartless, soulless perspective. That is a story of suffering, injustice, and abandonment. But there, in that room, in that nursing home, Listening to the conversation my mother and father were having with my great aunt, I witnessed the moment when my father's life changed, when the story he told himself changed. They were speaking of those war years, and Dorothy, my great aunt, said from her bed she was ill with something that I cannot remember, but I believe she died not very long after this visit. She said, Olaf, I prayed for you every night you were over there. That was it. And I could tell he believed her. And I believed her. At 10 years old, I had heard people say they prayed for each other many times. And sometimes I'm sure it was an honest statement. And sometimes it was just the thing that you say in certain situations But this, I believed. I had little doubt that it was a daily or nightly routine and that this old woman who I had only just met, and I don't know if my father had seen her in the interval between his military service and that moment, 
some 30 years later. And maybe that's why the conversation had wandered back to that time. I had no doubt that when she said, I prayed for you every night, that she was telling the truth. And while I witnessed the moment, I only came to realize how it had changed things for my father after we had left. And he was talking to my mother in the car. Her prayers, he said, her prayers, that's what kept me going over there. As if he had been given a puzzle piece that he had not even known was missing. That's what kept me alive. And my mother agreeing, isn't that something, how much she cared, praying for you every day. And they both agreed how loving this aunt of his was and how much she resembled my father's mother, my grandmother, who had died the year I was born. And they both affirmed how important prayer had been in his mother's life and in his aunt's life and now in their lives. And my father began to reimagine his story as not one of suffering, injustice, and abandonment, or not only a story of suffering, injustice, and abandonment, they were there, but also one of survival against the odds and connections that he couldn't have even known of at the time and love that travels over time and across continents. His story now included his Aunt Dorothy, a character that he hadn't even realized was, part, was a character in this story, and that's part of what made it so special. He knew that his mother loved him and prayed for him to come home. He imagined that other family members cared for him. But here was someone who was able to tell him not that she cared in a general family kind of sense or worried sometimes for his safety or hoped that he would come home, but that she prayed for him, Olaf Richards, every day. So what am I telling you? Am I trying to convince you of the power of prayer to change circumstances, to keep people safe, to alter events? I think that's part of what my parents believed, certainly, and their faith was deep. But what I am saying is that you don't necessarily have to believe in that type of prayer to appreciate the power of what my great aunt communicated. The power of what my father heard from her lies for me in intentional attention. His aunt Dorothy said, in effect, I focused my attention on you. I bore witness in the words that Alison Ricker used in her sermon from last week. I bore witness to your circumstances, to what you were going through, and I spent some time each day bringing you to mind, bringing you to mind in a specific way. I didn't remember you each day so I could worry myself sick. I didn't remember you each day so I could bemoan your choices or lament the circumstances that brought you to where you were. I brought you to mind in the context of that which I cherish above all else in a reverent way, in a loving way. That is a powerful thing to do, to hold someone in our thoughts, in the context of that which we hold most dear, whether that is God or Great Spirit or the interdependent web of all existence or the transforming love holding all. 
It is a powerful thing to know that someone is focusing attention on you and not because you're in the way or because you can help them get ahead or because you are a problem or because they feel they should, but because they choose to do so. And to do so in a reverent and loving and mindful way. My thoughts, they say, my mind for that moment or those moments will not wander from the person that is you. You will be the focus of my attention. My great aunt's prayers did not magically pull my father out of New Guinea in World War II, just as the young girl's kiss did not turn the frog into a prince. But that is not to say that the focused attention was wasted. The focused attention of my great aunt or the young girl in the story. Loving attention matters. Loving attention, though it cannot always change the circumstances, can change how we tell the stories about what happened. The stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. Whenever my father talked about the war after that, his Aunt Dorothy would make an appearance in the telling. She prayed for me every day. I don't know how else I would have kept going. A very painful story, one of separation and betrayal and brutality, also became a story of connection. Because he discovered that someone had taken the time to focus their attention on him. Even though he didn't know it at the time, that realization held the power to transform the way he felt about his life. May all of our stories... Whatever pain or sorrow or struggle particular chapters may hold, may they be stories also of connection. And may we offer the opportunity for others to reimagine and retell their own stories by offering them our focused and loving attention. So may it be.